Hey everyone, Cody here. How would you like a chance to win some free stuff from American Hauntings and help us improve the show at the same time? We're giving away a gift basket fully stocked by Lisa to one lucky listener. All you have to do is take a short survey to help us improve the show as we plan for season four. Go to bit.ly slash American Hauntings survey to find out more. Again, that's bit.ly slash American Hauntings survey. And now on with the show. Another episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Show is hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, and we are now at the conclusion of our third and longest season, Murdered in Their Beds. If today is the day you decided to tune into our podcast for the first time, you really don't want to listen to anything beyond this point in the show. You've missed the reason that we ended up here. What you really need to do is go back to episode 36 and start season three from there. That's the beginning of the Axeman's murder spree across the Midwest, and the rest of the season that follows will document the killer's terrible crimes in railroad towns across the region, including in the town of Villisca, Iowa. This is the end of the line. Train stops here, folks. So enjoy this last episode of Murdered in Their Beds and plan to spend the night sleeping with the lights on. On a very dark night in June 1912, a small wooden frame house in Villisca, Iowa became the scene of one of the bloodiest massacres in the history of the American Midwest. The family of J.B. Moore, along with two overnight guests, were murdered in their sleep. Despite a lengthy investigation and an exhaustive series of grand jury hearings and trials, the killer was never caught. The little white house in Villisca earned a place in the history of American crime, but it also earned a spot as one of the most haunted places in America. The house on lot 410 in Villisca was built by George Loomis in 1868. It was purchased by J.B. Moore in 1903, and he and his wife Sarah, along with a family that would include four children, made their home there until their deaths nine years later. The house had no electricity, no indoor plumbing, and an outhouse in back. Family shared three bedrooms, a kitchen, pantry, and parlor. After the deaths of the Moors, the house remained the property of J.B.'s estate until 1915, when it was purchased by J.H. Giesman. He didn't keep it for long. The house was a tainted property, and over the course of the next 80 years, it had 13 different owners, including the Velisca State Savings and Loan, whose name appears on the title from 1963 to 1971. That year, 71, the house was sold to Kendrick and Vance, a plumbing and heating company, and a month later was sold again to Darwin Kendrick. He remained his owner, renting the house out to tenants until it was sold to Rick and Vicki Sprague on January 1st, 1994. They planned to continue to use it as a rental property. But a few months after the Spreggs bought the house, a real estate agent approached local farmers, Darwin and Martha Lynn, about the possibility of them purchasing the Moore house. At the time, the Lynn 
Lynns already owned and operated the Olson Lynn Museum on Villisca's Town Square, and they felt that purchasing the infamous house at 323 East 4th Street would give them the opportunity to preserve an important piece of the area's history. The house was in poor condition and was in danger of being demolished. The Spregs had given up on the idea of restoring the place as a rental property, so if Darwin and Martha had not purchased the house, it's likely it would have been torn down, and none of the stories we're sharing with you today would even exist. Darwin later told me he wasn't sure what made him buy the house, but he could certainly see the potential of preserving the history of what had occurred there. The property was cheap, but the cost of restoring the house to how it looked in 1912, well, it wouldn't be. But the Lens decided to go ahead with it and came up with the money to start the renovations. And I believe it's that renovation work that created the reputation that house now has as such a haunted place. They had a lot of work to do, and it took years to finish the remodeling. Most paranormal researchers can agree that restoring an old house can cause it to become actively haunted. In many hauntings, events occur that leave an impression behind on the atmosphere of a place. Such an event may include a traumatic occurrence like a murder or, in the case of the Moore House, eight murders. Often a haunting will lay dormant for many years before becoming active. The number one cause for the continuation of a haunting? You guessed it remodeling and renovation. Such hauntings often manifest as sounds like voices, footsteps and cries, and physical effects like doors opening and closing, windows rattling, and even knocking and rapping sounds. Incidents like these may be recordings from the past, recharged as if someone has hit the play button. Or they may be the actual presence of spirits that are causing the activity to occur. In some locations, like the Moore House in Villisca, I think it's both. Darwin and Martha dug into old records as they began the restoration. They found out about the previous owners on the deeds, and since 1912, it had mostly been a rental property. They tried to compile a list of all the tenants who lived in the house, but this proved to be impossible. The big reason why is because most of them only stayed for a very short time. Now, keep in mind, though, there's nothing to suggest that they left because it was haunted. I mean, it is a possibility, but if so, no ghosts were ever reported. Records show that the house went under extensive changes between 1936 and 1944. The front and back porches were enclosed to make more rooms, plumbing and electricity were finally added, and the outbuildings were removed from the property. The house didn't look much like it did when the Moors lived there, but, well, that was about to change. Using old photos as a guide, Darwin and Martha started working on the house in late 1994. The restoration included removing the vinyl siding and repainting the original exterior wood, removing the enclosures on the porches, tearing out the electric lines and the plumbing, adding a chicken coop and an outhouse, and lastly, they rebuilt a small barn on the property. It was designed to look like the one where the Moors kept their livestock. Trying to keep things as authentic as possible, Darwin used testimony and records from the coroner's inquest and grand jury hearings to place furniture inside the house where it had been at the time of the murders. The furnishings that had belonged to the Moors, of course, had vanished many decades ago, but they used antiques to replace what was lost. The Moore home was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1998 and remains today as a time capsule of Villisca in 1912. It's a reminder of the ghastly murders that occurred there and of the mystery that followed. The walls hide many secrets, and those secrets bring many visitors to the door. Some of them come hoping to experience the atmosphere of a house where the worst mass murder in Iowa history took place, but let's be honest, most of them come looking for ghosts. Now, it wasn't like that at first, though. 
See, the house was a novelty spot associated only with the murders when it opened for tours in the late 1990s. But then when the tours began to be cut short by falling lamps, moving objects, banging sounds, children's laughter, and the overwhelming sensation of grief and terror, Darwin began to realize that the house might be haunted. I will tell you, though, he remained a skeptic about the resident ghost for a number of years. It wasn't until he began to have his own experiences that he became a believer and once told me he tried to avoid going to the house after dark. In all the years I knew him, I can honestly say I don't ever remember him being there at night. Now, of course, that's not to say he wasn't there, but I never saw him there. Once the Moore House began to be open to overnight visitors a couple of years later, ghost enthusiasts, curiosity seekers, and diehard paranormal investigators began arriving in droves, all of them seeking the strange, the unusual, and of course, the haunted. Some of the bolder ones who stayed there alone overnight had perplexing experiences, like the Des Moines disc jockey who awoke in the night to the sounds of children's voices when, of course, no children were present. Others came in groups, and they left with mysterious audio, video, and photographic evidence that suggested something supernatural lurked within the house. Psychics who visited the place claimed to be able to communicate with the spirits of the dead who lingered there, helping to further elevate the reputation of the Moore House. There were the EVPs, the electronic voice phenomenon that were said to capture sounds from the spirit world like voices and music. And there were photographs of anomalies that were taken, captured in the house, and they couldn't be explained. Cold spots were experienced that could not be explained either, a sign that a spirit might be present. And of course, there were the feelings, impressions of sadness, and firsthand personal encounters that couldn't be documented, but well, they happened anyway. Guests and guides have heard the sounds of footsteps, either upstairs or downstairs, when they've been on the opposite floor. Objects seem to move around the house without explanation, like some of the toys that visitors have left behind for the spectral children that lurk within the walls. A certain toy car, usually kept in the front parlor, often turns up on the kitchen stove, even when the house is empty. Some guests have claimed to hear someone call their name. Others say they've heard a woman moaning, children whispering and weeping. Some have gone into the children's bedroom at the front of the house where Herman, Boyd, Catherine, and Paul were killed and have been so overwhelmed that they fled the house, unable to stand to be in that room any longer. My own interest in the Velisca murders began in the early 2000s, and of course I quickly learned that the house had a reputation as a haunted place. I figured that even if a fraction of the stories that were circulating about the house were true, it would have to be one of the most haunted places in America. Its gruesome history certainly provided a possibility for the stories of the hauntings to be true, but well, was it? I didn't find that out for myself until May 2005 when I joined a group that was staying there overnight. I arrived in Villisca on the evening of my first stay at the house, an hour or so before the sun went down. I met up with the rest of the group at Darwin and Martha's Museum on the town square. It's gone now, but in those days the museum was housed in two floors of the building that was once Frank Jones' implement store. It featured a jumbled assortment of old cars, farm equipment, advertising signs, and historical records. There were so many displays and artifacts from bygone days that a visitor could spend hours there and still not see everything. I met Darwin and Martha for the first time during that visit and went on to be friends with that wonderful couple all the way until Darwin passed away in 2011. I still get to see Martha whenever I'm back in town. 
Darwin introduced the group to the history of the murders and then took us to the local cemetery to see the burial places of the Moors and the Stillinger girls. The grave markers had been purchased from the sizable reward fund that had been collected in hopes of capturing the killer. Since the reward was never claimed, surviving family members donated the money to be used to purchase the tombstones. After leaving the burial ground, Darwin pointed out the once grand mansion that had belonged to Frank Jones and then led us back to the square where we had dinner and then we went to the Moore house where we'd spend the night. Walking into the house that first night was like stepping back in time. There's no electricity in the house. The only illumination comes from candles and kerosene lamps. And there's no plumbing either. There's now a bathroom in the barn, but at the time of my first visit, there was still just that old outhouse. The house is small and we entered through the back door, which led us into the kitchen. The parlor is located at the front of the house with the bedroom leading off from it, where the bodies of the Stillinger girls were found. Just off the kitchen is a small pantry and the staircase leading up to the second floor. At the top of the steps is the bedroom that belonged to JB and Sarah. At the front of the house is the children's bedroom where the bodies of the Moore children were discovered after the murders. There's also an unfinished attic that is reached through a door in the Moore's bedroom. It had been a warm afternoon, fading into evening, when we arrived in Villisca. The heat of the day had generated a line of fierce thunderstorms, and soon after arriving at the house, we began to hear rumbles of thunder and see flashes of lightning above the distant hills. Around 11 o'clock, it began to rain, but it only lasted for a short time. In less than an hour, the storms had moved off, leaving the night warm and humid. Now, you understand why I'm telling you this, right? Because it was a dark and stormy night, of course. The group that I'd come with planned to thoroughly investigate the house. If there was any evidence of ghosts there, they hoped to find it. I'd come to watch. <laughs> I like to experience investigations to get a feel for the locations, but I usually prefer to stay out of the details of the experiments that are going on and look for the story. However, sometimes you become part of your own story, whether you want to or not. Now, two of the members of the group that night, Annie Horn and her daughter Jada, had been to the Moore house on other occasions, and Annie told the group about some rather strange happenings that she had experienced in the children's bedroom on the second floor. She was convinced that Paul, one of the Moore children, remained behind in his old room and would interact with visitors in exchange for candy. She had even brought along a pocket full of treats, and she suggested the group try and make contact with Paul. Well, everyone agreed. David and Josie Rodriguez from Omaha set up an array of equipment in the south bedroom to record any strange events that might occur. It was a camera that was pointed at the closet that managed to capture the most dramatic events of the night. Within a few minutes, most of the group had crammed into the children's bedroom. It was hot and crowded in there, so I chose to stay downstairs with David and watch what was going on through a monitor that was wired to the camera upstairs. After about 20 minutes of watching the video feed, I wandered over to get a drink, and soon after, David called out to me. There's something odd going on, he said, and I should come take a look. I looked over his shoulder at the monitor. The picture and sound were being fed into a laptop, and we watched as the people in the bedroom tried to coax the ghost boy into performing on cue for them. They were asking him to close the closet door, and as far as we could tell, the door was closing exactly when they asked it to. This happened several times in a row, the door opening and closing on cue. Now, after watching this for a little while, I decided I had to go up and see it for myself. So I hurried upstairs and walked into the south bedroom, which was now filled with very excited people. I squeezed in as they gave me a description of what had been happening. What they told me matched perfectly with what I'd been watching on the monitor in the kitchen. 
I sat down and watched as Annie began to try and coax the spirit she said was Paul into opening and closing the closet door. Now, I gotta be honest, I was very skeptical about what was occurring. I had come upstairs not because I was expecting to marvel at the antics of a ghost who closed door for candy, but to find a logical explanation for what was going on. There had to be a reasonable answer for why the closet door was behaving the way it was, and I was determined to find out what it could be. While Annie called the Paul a few times and promised she'd leave him some candy if he would make the closet door open and close for us. We all sat in silence as the door swung open about eight inches. Nothing happened for several beats and then for no apparent reason that I could see, the door slowly swung shut. It didn't slam closed, but it rather seemed to just gently close as though someone was pushing it. And I swear to you, there was absolutely no one near it at the time. Now, I'm not sure how I managed to do this, but I convinced everyone in the room to leave and go take a break, go downstairs for a few minutes. I wanted to check out the closet. Now, don't you think I'm, it would be a lot of fun to have it something like this? Obviously not. I was dubious about the ghost boy, and I was sure there had to be a reason as to why the door seemed to be performing on command. And I looked for everything. I looked for wires, slopes in the floor, loose hinges. I even tried opening the door and pushing it closed several times. Could it be a draft? Well, I went through the entire upstairs and I closed all the doors and windows so that I could be sure there was no air current coming into that room. I stood inside of the closet and I looked for openings by shining a flashlight up to the ceiling. I even checked the temperature to discover that it was hot, which I already knew, but there was definitely no breeze blowing in. But there had to be an explanation, I thought. You know, could it have been the distance the door stood open that allowed it to swing closed? Was it just a coincidence? I mean, if the door was left alone long enough, would it open and close anyway? So I sat and watched it for a while, much longer than it had been left alone with a room full of people, but the door just refused to do anything. So almost an hour later, I was ready to try again. I called everyone back into the bedroom and instructed them to try and get the door to close now that I'd sealed off the windows from any outside air. Everyone sat down and Annie once again called out to Paul, coaxing him to open and close the door. Well, a minute or two passed and then the door opened and swung shut again. Something I'd been unable to duplicate a short time before. There was no way we could attribute this to air currents or drafts in the window. The door continued to open and close over and over again, but only when Annie asked. Well, this happened several more times before I decided to try something else. If it was not an air current that was moving the door, would it open and close anyway if we waited long enough? If we just left it alone? I'd waited several minutes, but maybe that hadn't been long enough. Would the door just open and close? And if so, was it because the door frame had settled over time and was slanted in such a way as to make it appear that it was opening and closing on its own? Well, we all left the room. We would not ask Paul to do anything with the door. Anyone who wanted to watch it could do so from the monitor downstairs in the kitchen. And with that, we all went downstairs or outside to have a midnight snack and wait around to see what might happen in the bedroom. We waited for almost two hours. And yes, that is as boring as it sounds. No one went into the room during that time. But someone was watching the door from the monitor in the kitchen, or at least checking in periodically to see what was happening. And that door never budged. Nothing had changed except that, you know, no one was asking Paul to close it. So it just sat there, unmoving and open a crack, apparently just waiting for us to return. Finally, at about 2 a.m., we filed back into the room. The door was just as we'd left it. It had now been motionless for almost two hours. 
Well, Annie spoke out loud, asking Paul to close the door. Paul, are you there? She called. Would you close the door for us again? If you do, I'll leave some more candy inside the closet. Seconds ticked by, and then, with no one moving or speaking, the wooden door slowly swung open and then shut, latching with a soft click. It had not moved until someone politely asked it to do so. Now, I would love to provide you with a rational explanation for why this happened, but I don't have one. And I know that it was at that moment that I finally realized the Moore house really is haunted. I've since visited the house many times, so many times that I've lost track of the number. I've traveled there from Illinois to stay the night and experience the house, the town, and the surrounding area. I've traveled there to work with film crews, meet ghost hunters, work on a book, and to just soak up the atmosphere of this eerie and troubling place. And yes, I have had other experiences with the ghosts. I've seen other doors close by themselves. Once I was in the house completely alone and distinctly heard the sound of footsteps follow me up the stairs to the second floor. This might not have bothered me so much if I had not felt the distinct presence of someone standing nearby watching me. I caught a faint owner of sweat and unwashed clothing and immediately went back downstairs. I instinctively wanted to get as far away from whoever or whatever had been behind me on the stairs that night. On another night, I saw a child's ball roll across the floor, reverse direction, and return to the person who pushed it. I tried it out for myself. That floor wasn't slanted. There was no logical explanation, but it happened. The question that a lot of people have for me is this, is the Moore house really haunted? There are many locals who maintain that it's not, and probably the same number of people who believe that poor Frank Jones had a hand in the murders, but they say that many people lived in that house over the decades following the slains, and none of them ever mentioned encountering ghosts. It wasn't until the renovations began that visitors began to experience strange events within the walls of what's become known as the Axe Murder House. So are these events merely the products of overactive imaginations or wishful thinking? That's what some would like you to believe, but don't be fooled. I don't think the explanation for what happens in this house is that simple. But you don't have to take my word for it. I've come to believe that the house is haunted solely because of what I experienced within its walls. And I hope that you, as the constant listener, will reserve your judgment until the time comes when you can spend your own night there. It's not a place for the faint of heart. But if you're looking for something special, whether it be ghosts or possible answers to a lingering mystery, then make your own plans to journey to this historic and haunted place and experience the Moore House for yourself. And that's it, folks. This is the end of the line. We finally wrapped up our season three of Murdered in Their Beds.
basically I'm almost due for an upgrade, and so it seems oh, like sure. when you get to that point, they're oh, like, yeah, then they start really fucking up. Yeah, it's a brilliant business model, but it's yeah, fucking it frustrating. I agree. It's hard to distinguish that between the white noise that's always going on in my head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. This is the final episode of season three, which we call Murdered in Their Beds. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, were these mics on that whole time? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's well, how I do things. Yeah. Okay. I always, I, I'm fine. <laughs> I, when the, I get little tidbits for the intro. Uh, uh, okay. But uh, this has come back to bite me a couple of times where I had to be like, Lisa Troy, these are recording. I'll, I'll cut it out. <laughs> yeah. But just the heads yeah. up. That's uh, probably, that's why you have to tell people when you call them, like this is, this line's being recorded or whatever, like at the beginning. Yeah, probably a good plan. Because yeah, I don't want to incriminate you guys or, or anything, <laughs> but I'm always pretty careful. And sometimes you'll make you'll make a mistake in the monologue and you will legit say, do not use this for the yeah, funny part, which is I know. And fortunately, what you always use, but it's always so inappropriate and not in a funny way that you can't. <laughs> right. Use right. It. So it would just be because it'll be like a slip up of a word. And it's like, oh, God, don't you cannot put that in there. Yeah. So, oh, I'm trying to remember some of my favorites. <laughs> I couldn't even say them if I remembered them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a while. We we hung out last night for a ghost hunt at yeah, Mineral Springs, we but yeah, we didn't fun. see each other for the entire month of September. I know because we had already had everything in the can. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, we, yeah. Last time we did anything was at the end of August. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. We talked all the time. Yeah. But, uh, Yep. Yeah, never got to hang out. So, so you didn't have to fun. deal with my sober September stuff. <laughs> well, there's that is true. And also, I didn't have that's, to worry about you being a bad influence. Well, that's why you that's why you stayed away from me. I think for the entire month. Right? Yeah. Well, it worked, <laughs> and now we're into October, October, ghost wonderful time of the year, and we got a lot of stuff coming up. Sorry, oh, yeah, I, know, I know you hate the term, but I love it. I'm going to keep using it. Uh, <laughs> well, we, well, we got stuff coming up. You want to want to tell people? What oh, we have? sure. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we just started posting a lot of stuff for. Um, I know it's it's just now October, but we've started posting stuff for winter and spring, too, um, because, you know, we get into this time of year and so many things have already disappeared. You know, all of our dinner tours, all of our dinner events, all that stuff's been sold out now for weeks and weeks. So we uh, just we don't have anything of that kind left. We have a lot of or not a lot, uh, but quite a few of our Alton tours still remaining for this year, our walking tours and our bus tours. So, I mean, people who think, oh, you know, it's just now October, now it's too late to do anything. It's not. Um, it's just a lot of our special events have filled up, which is why we posted, you know, a lot of our winter and spring things, our, our upcoming Ghost of the River Roads for winter and spring, and um, a whole bunch. We just put up an entire run of new evening with dinner events uh for for the uh, the winter and spring and we're bringing back some of the, the a couple of the favorite ones that that sold out really fast this fall like the limp family events and the st louis exorcism event um we've got the in evening with hh Holmes that we're doing for the dead of winter which we have that website up too uh for dead of winter which is coming up on february 8th we talked about that a little bit i'm sure we'll talk about it more because we always do a live show from that so that'll be something we'll talk about more but um we also have the hh holmes event at that and then another one on its own uh we've got an evening with the bell witch we've got an evening with the spirit world we've got uh, we're bringing back lizzie borden uh we've got uh an evening with the missing you know, people who vanished without a trace unexplained stuff um so we we added a whole bunch of new stuff 
So everybody who complained because, you know, we kept adding an evening with the Limp family all fall. We just kept adding another one and another one until we got to the point where we had no more dates to add anymore. Um, if you were one of the people who missed that, now you've got a new date. Yeah. Actually, a couple of new dates because we've got one in March, which is in evening with the Limp family, but it's going to be different. It won't be the one that I normally do. We're, we're going to do that. But then in addition to that, um, there's a new documentary that has been in the works called um, Limp's Last Rite, spelled with a W, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it is a documentary about the mysterious death of Elsa Limp. Um, and it's premiering uh, on the day after her the anniversary of her death. And we're going to be doing a big premiere at the Mineral Springs here in Alton. Nice. And that's going to be in combination with our dinner and then an event about the Limp family, followed by a screening of the film. You get a packet that the, the company, Shift Films, who's doing the documentary, is going to pass out. So, And that's going to be a one-time thing. It's going to be very limited. So um, it is up on the website. If you're interested, just go to altonhauntings.com. That's the easiest way to find it. Can I make popcorn for that? Yeah, you can if you'd like. All right. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun night. And uh, man, we've got a whole bunch of fun nights coming up. But... That, I think, is one I'm really looking forward to, which is I know March 21st seems like a long way off, but didn't October yeah. <laughs> a couple of months ago we started talking about all this stuff. So, it'll, you know, it'll be here before we know it. So anyway, that's what we've got coming up. And of course, the other big thing that we have coming up is season four of the podcast. Now yes. That season three is will be finished after today after today um, it's bittersweet it is it is um but it's it's time to let it go and to move on uh and to our no next closure. season i well not really do we um so anyway we um in fact i think let's just tell them right now what it's gonna be okay, okay yeah so season sure. four of the podcast you know what? No, let's just wait. We uh, actually recorded a trailer for you um, like we did after, you know, for season three. So that will be up for the next what would be our It'd regular be episode October of the 22nd. show. And uh, we'll still have our Halloween episode coming up. And then we will begin our new season in November. Yep. Is when those November 12th. That's the plan is for our first episode of season four. Which again, we're not going to tell you what it is. I know. But I was really on I October really 29th. We will it. have our our regular Halloween episode, which is nothing to do with anything else in the podcast. It never does. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it's going to be fun. We're already looking forward to it. So. Yeah. Well, I. I yeah, me too, Siri. Are you kidding me? I don't know if Did you we could, say something remotely to Siri. I don't know my phone and I never use Siri. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know if you all heard that, but if you heard it, I'll keep it in. If not, I'll cut all this weirdness out, but robots are ruining everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really excited about season four. I, I know because you just winked at me that you weren't really going to let people know, but I was really hoping I'd be able to convince you beforehand. But yeah, look out for that trailer on uh, October 22nd and you'll find out what it's all about. I think everybody will be happy about I that. Think so too. And that'll launch uh, November 12th. And like Troy said, our Halloween episode on October 29th, uh, which I'm also really excited about. Uh, so we have a couple, we have a lot of listener reviews. And since this is the last episode of the uh, like proper season. I'm right. just going to go through pretty much everything that we have, okay. uh, which is a lot. So this is uh, titled Stylin' Monologue file Followed by Awesome Banter. It's by One Cent to Red, to Read. I don't know. 
I don't know. Anyway, it says, love the style of the podcast, enjoying the monologue, followed by the discussion. Why can't I say followed? By the discussion and banter between Cody and Troy. I just started listening, so I've started with episode 36. Looking forward to binge on seasons one and two. P.S. listening to season three, episode three. I had to laugh that y'all, Cody, was unfamiliar with oil slash hurricane lamps. Maybe it's because I live in Texas or I'm Generation X who's lived in conditions similar to those of the early 20th century. Okay, um, but still keep an oil lamp or two in, in, in case of uh, electricity outages, storms, be it, uh, be it winter, thunderstorms, I believe gotcha. it wise, have backup light source heat too, in addition to the LED flashlight and the keychain, plus a winter ambient light and heat. Many people still have these on display, really throwback to a simpler time or just an old soul. Keep it up. Okay, I do want to address this. I Multiple people have mentioned this before, but I knew what these were. I mean, Renee bought you one I know. because she thought you were so. So Charlie yeah. Brockes does our music. He, his parents had them in the basement, and so I'd seen them before, and I totally knew what they were. I guess in some episode, I probably said I didn't know, but I feel like I mentioned I knew what they were. Oh, well. But everybody keeps making fun of me. Renee bought me one, and I really appreciate it. It's really cool. Um, there's just fumes all over the apartment anytime I light that thing up. Um, but thank you for listening. Thank you for writing in. The next review comes from... From Mopastry? I don't know. I don't know why you try to pronounce it. I just, uh, they're doing us a favor. I'm trying to do them a favor. I know. Maybe give them a laugh, if nothing else. Uh, Just titled, Love It. Love the podcast. Thanks for working on the sound. Winky face, you are welcome. Uh, The jokes are corny, but awesome. I agree with half (laughs) of that statement. Let's see, this next one's just titled, Love It, and it's Amy, and then a little slanty mouth face, which I guess you can do in your names. Uh, My favorite are the episodes that combine true crime and the paranormal, two of my most favorite topics. Us too. Th- thank you very much for writing in. This one's from Stevie K. This is the very first podcast I started listening to, and I was quickly hooked. The fact that I stumbled upon a podcast that involved, at some point, all my top interests, the paranormal, true crime, my hometown, STL, and bad jokes. Ha ha. I couldn't ask for much more. Keep up the great work. I'm so happy people are on board now for the terrible jokes, because <laughs> I felt I was just, just performing into a vacuum yeah. for the longest time. So thanks for writing in. This one's uh, just what I've been looking for. My O2JDN. I just started exploring podcasts. I found this one. I love it. I love the storytelling and legends mixed with historical background. The hosts are great. Thank you. This one. I love American Hauntings podcast. It's one of only two podcasts that scratch that paranormal itch for me. The other being Astonishing Legends, which we, we love that podcast. Yeah. It's hosts are likable and respectable. <laughs> um, and I really enjoy their deep dives into history behind the stories they address. That's from Patio James. Thank you. And I have one more here. Uh, but one of the best in the genre by C.D. Stein 69. That's funny. It rhymes. Um, have been reading Troy's work for years. And when I heard of his podcast, his first season, I've been hooked ever since. Uh, sense of history with the paranormal. Would love to hear about historical hauntings such as uh, universities, hospitals, penitentiaries and it says you're not too bad either cody thank you i'll take it i'll call that a win uh so thank you all again the itunes reviews really really help us uh it helps people find the show it helps my ego um (laughs) and and it's great and then you know we like to poke fun at people sometimes when they leave you know wacky reviews or whatever um but we really do appreciate it you want to dive into this season three finale yeah all right so a lot of this has been history court cases Back and forth, a lot of characters, yes. everything. But now we are caught up to your personal experiences, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and, and really, we're, we're caught up to the, the aftermath. I mean, of all the way to now, mm-hmm. rather than just the aftermath, the, you know, the first five, six years after the murders happened. Right. Now we're, we're up to, you know, 100 years mm-hmm. after the murders happened. And we're going to talk so about some next? ghosts. Right. 
Yes. Exactly. Okay, so I lied. A little bit of history, real quick. Anyway, the Morehouse, uh, in June 1912, this guy will cite one of the bloodiest massacres in the history of the American Midwest. Despite what I have said in the past, uh, Troy kind of brought this point up a couple episodes ago, that there is a reason why Villisca is special in this you know, group of towns that had Billy the Axeman stop by. And it's because of the hauntings, a lot of it, aside from, you know, the the court cases and all that stuff Mm -hmm. too. But the hauntings also kind of helped put that on the map. So this house had no electricity, no indoor plumbing and an outhouse in the back. Um, And the house remained in JB's estate until 1915 when it was purchased by J.H. Giesman. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe that's correct. I don't don't like geese, so I don't really trust him. (laughs) So over the next 80 years, the house had uh, 13 different owners, which yeah. is an ominous number. Yeah, and I love oh, it. There's that, right. I love it. Um, did, did you know, okay, I'm sure you know this, but a lot of buildings would skip the 13th floor on the elevators oh, sure. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. stupid. Yeah, I've been working on a book about- um, Elevators? Haunted hotels, actually, <laughs> yeah. um, that's coming out later this year. And I was finishing some stuff up and there is a particular hotel that's in the book that is unusual because it had a 13th floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually point that out that most don't. Yeah. It was know. like a building. I and worked if you, in yeah, if you go, ago, well, and yeah, ago. if it's an older building at all, um, you know, Chicago, most of the hotels and especially the, I mean, the older ones, um, they just go right onto the 14th floor. So. It, well, it's not like the 13th floor doesn't exist. Is it? Is no, 20 it's, feet? it's 14, it's, right. it's, but they don't use the number. People so. are the worst. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so records end up showing extensive changes to the house between 1936, 1944. And this is something we talked about during, I think, our first couple episodes when I was learning more about hauntings and your thoughts about stuff. And, and when we were becoming friends, Troy, um, but you mentioned <laughs> a lot a of, it was, um, <laughs> a lot of these things you think that will, renovations to places a lot of times will yeah, stir up Yeah, it does hauntings. seem to stir things up. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I talk about that a couple of times here in the, in the story because I think it's really important, you know, for people who say, you know, and I, and I mentioned that at the very end, you know, people who lived in the area, a lot of them say, oh, you know, I never heard anything about it being haunted before. Well, no, nobody else did either. It wasn't until they started to stir everything up and, and, and change the atmosphere of the place. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, kind of activated the hauntings, I think, yeah. you know, and they've continued, you know, and now they continue because it don't, it doesn't have anything. They don't do any real remodeling or renovation on the house now. But I think it it, it continues because of the number of people who come through the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there isn't a day that goes by, especially weekends, that they you know they just do a house tour at three in the afternoon, and there'll be thirty or forty people show up. And let me tell you, this is not an easy place to get to. Right, it is the middle of nowhere. You cannot be on your way somewhere. You've got to get off the road to get to Villisca and, but they'll, they'll always have people waiting, you know, to mm-hmm. get in, to take the tour. And, you know, they're booked up, you know, most weekends year round, people coming in, you know, ghost hunters coming in. And, you know, even if you don't even believe in all of it that you hear, you still have all of these bodies coming through and you've got all this energy being stirred up. And I think that's a lot of, you know, what makes the house so active. It's, it's just like other places. Um, you know, like say, for instance, um, use the Mineral Springs Hotel as sure. an example. Um, in August or September, things may be pretty quiet, but I guarantee you by the end of October, when you've had all these people coming through on all the different tours, I mean, look, we have three or four tours a night mm-hmm. on weekends in October. And so you've got, you know, you're looking at just us bringing in several hundred people every weekend. That's a lot of energy. Sure. And, you know, you've got a busy, you have busy, the Zen shop is busy and, you know, you've got people coming in. And so it's, it, it brings in a lot of 
energy and things get more active the mm -hmm. busier they are and i think that's the reason why Villisca has maintained its reputation for being haunted even though the renovations were done 25 years ago right and i would say for all those hundred people that will come in for mineral spring or something there's always it's one person at least that is antagonizing or something and if you yeah, do that every day sure oh yeah, yeah that probably just adds yeah. to it and i'm sure Villisca is no, oh, yeah, different. no, no different so okay so did the house did they install electricity and plumbing and then take it out again well yeah to eventually make it more Eventually, like around 1936, which I know seems really late, you know, wow, they just then got indoor plumbing and mm -hmm. electricity in a rural area. It's really not. You're you're coming just out of the Depression. Right. I mean, we're in the tail end of the Depression. People didn't have any money to be wiring their houses or putting in indoor plumbing because it, it never had any. Mm -hmm. So it had to be done from scratch. Um, but yeah, so they had electricity and plumbing put in. But then when Darwin and Martha bought it in 94, they wanted to restore it back to how it was in 1912. So they took all that stuff back out again. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a good question. I know, okay, the Great Depression started in 29, but when did the effects stop? I, I don't World know War the II, length. Really, oh, um, by the late uh, 30s, things had gotten a little bit better, but by World War II, um, yeah, the, the booming wartime economy and post-war economy really ended the depression. So the whole thirties was just fucked. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, I mean, not, not everywhere. And of course the, the initial probably five, four to five, six years was the worst. Mm -hmm. It started to get a little better by the end of the thirties after FDR came into office and they started, you know, the WPA and the works program and social security and that kind of stuff. It, it did start to change the effects of the depression, mm -hmm. but it really wasn't until the war that we now had a booming economy right. for, you know, people spending money again. Okay. And then, then you had to go back into rationing and stuff, but at least people had money to spend again. Sure, yeah. So. And for, for anyone asking or, or telling telling me to do my research, like, no, I'm here to ask Troy these <laughs> questions because he's done the research. I'm just here to learn on the spot with you. Um, you said that you believe these renovations stirred up hauntings and that there might be both uh, residual and active hauntings because of a, a lot of, you know, different things, the right, tragedy that sure. happened and the people coming through. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, because I don't think I've ever just point blank asked you this, but do you think a lot of places have either or, or is it more common to have both if you're going to have one or how's that? I think work? it's more common. I think it's more common to have residual hauntings. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the most common type of haunting there is um, because it's just energy sort of activating itself or being left an impression on a place. Traumatic history. Yes. I think that's the most common. Um, I think that, you know, intelligent actual spirits, um, are more rare, but usually in a place where you've got um, active spirits, it seems like there's usually some residual around too. Mm. Not necessarily, but sure. it seems more common that you would have both or just residual. Okay. So not as common to have just, you know, a ghost hanging around. Got it. All right. But it happens. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, according to documents and literature and mm -hmm. reports and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So. Okay. And you mentioned Darwin. Um, so not Charles, but Darwin. So trying to keep things as authentic as possible. Darwin used testimony and records from the coroner's inquest and grand jury hearings to place furniture inside the house where it had been at the time of the murders. Furnish, uh, the furnishings that belonged to the Moors had vanished many decades ago. So antiques were used to replace what was lost. I get it, but this is weird. Like, well, 
it creeps me out. I, well, no, and, and and I and I think it does. He was just trying to make it authentic, an authentic historic site. Yeah, you know, um, there was no way they could get the Moors' actual furniture. Well, we know that a lot of it was destroyed. Yep. you know, we also At the know station. that yeah, or was stolen, or just you know went to family members or whatever. So I mean, that stuff was long gone. There's mm-hmm. no way you could have hung on to it. But he, you know, already had this museum in town that was a history museum, and so he had access to. A lot of antiques and stuff. So, yeah. you know, he wanted to make it as authentic as possible and put it back to how it was. I know? get it. So, OK, so. it's logical, but still weird. I, <laughs> but well, I respect it. Yeah. But you got to remember, he wasn't trying to create a haunted house. I know. I know. I mean, he was just putting together a, a historic site, a memorial, really, yeah. more than anything to the families, to the, the people who had died, to the murders that had taken place. This was the biggest historical event that had ever occurred in not only Villisca, but anywhere in that surrounding area. Tri-state and so, area. <laughs> yeah. So he wanted to make it, you know, a memorial to these people because right. he had a chance to do it. And that's how it ended up on, you know, by 98, it was on the National Historic Register. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but they didn't start off trying to make a haunted house. Right. I mean, they, in fact, Darwin had no idea or any, even any thought that this house would be or was haunted. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I think it has. It says more about me that I made those assumptions <laughs> than it does yeah. about him. Uh, so yeah, like you said, National Registry of Historic Places in '98. Um, houses opened up to tours in the '90s, but those are cut short because of some strange happenings, which we're going to get into. But there's one question I didn't really know where to ask it, um, so I'm just going to fit it in right now. What happened to the reward money that the town and family raised? Well, that's what that's what they used to pay for the the grave markers at the cemetery for the family uh, of the okay. girls. Because um, if you ever visit there, if you get a chance to visit there and go to the cemetery, they're they're not elaborate, but they're large and would have been way out of the price range of the families mm-hmm. involved. But since the killer was never caught, that reward money was all put together and with no other idea of what to do with it. They just decided, well, let's use it as to, to buy the grave markers. So Got that's, it. that's where it came, where they came from. Okay. Yeah. I, f- I figured there's like yeah. a limit or amount of time where it's like, okay, we have to do something within X amount of years with this money, right, right. but nah, I didn't really know how it worked. Okay. So now I want to get to what I think everybody's been waiting for. It's the ghosts and the hauntings. Yeah, um, for, sure. for, for Velisca in this house in particular, the Moore house. So once people were able to stay overnight in the house, shit got a lot weirder. So a lot of the usual stuff, voices, laughter, footsteps, items, toys, turning up in weird places, things like that. People getting a lot of uh, EVPs. And that's something I wanted to ask you about, too, because I know I know your opinion on orbs. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on EVPs? Is that something I know? Orb you, you, is bro spelled backward. So anyway, go ahead. And that's amazing. Um, <laughs> but I know that you you used to use a lot of equipment and like well, you've been doing this for so long that you're really cool at one point And now you just wouldn't even want to take pictures if you can. Well, it's not even it's not that I um, I enjoy it's, it's fun to mess around with. It's I enjoy watching other people work yeah. with stuff. I just don't do it a lot myself because my interest or our focus has changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm Wait, what more do you mean? interested in, well, I, I don't know. I'm just more interested in the story now than I used to be. Okay. Um, and, and I don't, if you're interested in the story, if you're going somewhere to try and experience something and then you're going to go home and, and write about it later, um, equipment doesn't make a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, we don't even know for a fact 
what a lot of it right. means or, or how it works or what causes it. Sure. Because we're still sort of, the you know, wild, even wild after West. 20 years, we're still flailing in the dark a little bit with some of the equipment, mm -hmm. you know, and the reliability and the authenticity of some of the stuff. I mean, it's cool, but yeah. I mean, but it's kind of hard to prove because you could be using, you know, scientific equipment, but that most of the time wasn't actually what it was designed for right. in the first place. But in, 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 on another note, you're not, you know, scientifically repeating your experiment. Sure. You're just getting random activity. And while it's probably something paranormal and there's no way to prove that. Right. And besides that, I don't, I personally don't want to read a book about a sound equipment. file. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or, you know, you can, I can, I can, for as much as you want, I can write you a story about all of the EVP that I've heard over the years, but how do you know that that's real? I mean, I don't know it's real if somebody brings it to me and plays it. For all I know, they recorded it in their basement. I don't right, know, you know. Right. So you have to kind of be there. And so I kind of like being, I sound like one of those old men. I don't know why these kids have to be on their phones No, all but the I think time. it makes but, sense because there's you know, a barrier in between yeah, you and it, the experience. Yeah, it is. And, and I guess it's just, so my 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 interest and focus has kind of changed. But I, I totally get why other people love doing it. And mm -hmm. I it's... I said it's fun to watch and it's cool to hear about but it's not something i want to write about or yeah. do myself so that's that's all that's the difference well, this is why me, when troy and know. i go on ghost hunts he has nothing on him and i'm carrying like 12 devices because he <laughs> wants to experience it but i also have to get all this evidence for him <laughs> yeah right no we so we were actually uh we we did the mineral springs ghost hunt last night and you and i are sitting kind of in the main lobby by the vault where you're selling some of your books and stuff and we heard these screams screams and at first I'm just like, ah, what happened? I know. What's going on? And then they kept going on for a second. And so we're like, okay, maybe this is legit and yeah. you know, something we should actually check out. And then this woman comes forward and she's panting. Well, actually, yeah, three of them. Well, we were, first it was just the first one though. Just one. Um, but then the other two come in and uh, we're like, okay, what happened? And they told us about a particular area that they were in Mineral Springs. And you know, we just heard this loud bang right next to us. And so finally she catches her breath and pulls up the file. Um, and it's very yeah. interesting because there's something there. Right. Something well, happened. What was interesting about that, though, is it just goes to what exactly we were saying. Yes, we got to hear her recording of what happened. And her but, scream. But, but, yeah. And her screams. But what was more exciting for me was to hear them tell it. The story. And to see their reaction to it. So they weren't down there using all kinds of equipment. They were just down there experiencing the location. Sure. It just happened to have a recorder on at the time right. saying, you know, is anyone in here with us right. kind of thing. That was the extent of their equipment. And, and yet they had this, you know, firsthand, very exciting encounter, which then we got to hear about secondhand and, they'll keep and we talking got about to hear it. the recording, yeah. you know, and regardless yeah. of what so. we think or anything, they, you could see it. They oh, believe yeah. they, Absolutely. well, something happened to them. So, well, something happened because we heard it. Yeah. So, we don't know yeah. exactly what it was, but exactly. they still believed or they know something happened. Right. And so, yeah, that was really, that was really cool to see though. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot of times too, when you and I will be at things and people will run up and be like, what yeah. do you think about this? Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, that's it. That's, that's really cool. And it's, I know, I'm sure that after, you know, X amount of years, it's different for you, but it's, it's charming for me to see people like be excited to come up to you and be like, oh, yeah, look at this yeah. well, thing I that love I found, looking at people's you know, stuff, and you yeah, know, you all, so. to your credit, you yeah, always no, do. I do. Yeah. And yeah, so that, that is really nice. I just, I don't want to compliment you too much, but I just wanted to, <laughs> to let you know that. 
But speaking of Aliska um, in particular, you started going there in the early 2000s. Well, I got interested in it in, two, in the early 2000s. I got interested in the story, but I didn't make it until the spring of 2005 was the first time I was there. Do you remember how you heard about the story? I'm sure it was just on the internet. Yeah. I mean, the internet was a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. And it sounds weird, but it was you a lot smaller. You weren't doing axe murder now. stuff that led to that? Is that what started the axe murder? Uh, I had heard about that story and started and was doing research on other stuff and had heard about this place, but it didn't have near the, it just, it didn't have the, it wasn't well known outside of the area at mm-hmm. the time. And so I think I just found something on it on the internet and got interested in the murders and then got in. It was when I started researching, trying to find more history on all of it, that I started finding other murders, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that matched. But initially it was Velisca that I heard about first. Did you have the bulletin board with the string and the thumbtacks going out to everywhere? I always wanted one of those, but I don't really have room for it. I just, I imagine (laughs) you have a secret room somewhere that I haven't found yet. Uh, So May 2005, you stay overnight. Can you just tell me just high level general, like what, what was it like in the house, especially the first time you were there? Um, I mean, it really hasn't changed much. I mean, there, there is, it's a little different now than it was back at the time, but you know, initially it was this little house with antiques in it. That was a, you know, replica of what it had been in 1912. I mean, there was no heater air, or, you know, no, um, you know, it was raining. I always, I laughed during the monologue talking about it being a dark and stormy night, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, uh, but it, yeah, it was just, it was really cool to visit for the first time. Anytime I've ever been someplace that I have, you know, heard about or read about and I get to go for the very first time, it's just something really cool about it. Like uh, going into the, you know, say the the Exorcist house for yeah. the very first time or going to Alcatraz or, you know, any of these places that I've read about for years that, you know, that I've always wanted to see. And then finally getting to see it is always cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being it turned into my first visit there it was cool that something happened sure while i was there you know yeah. that i was able to experience with a bunch of other people yeah yeah so so let's get into that a little bit and you mentioned we kind of touched on this a second ago but you said i like to experience investigations and get a feel for the locations but i usually prefer to stay out of the details of experiments and look for the story i was going to ask why is that but you already yeah, explained that but this this particular incident you said uh, the group you're with decides to try to make contact with who they believe is paul moore in the children's room on the second floor. Essentially, the closet door is closing on an cue. Opening on an, an opening on yeah. cue. Yeah. And you, this is, again, I don't want to compliment you too much, but this is one of the reasons I wanted to do something with you with this podcast in the first place is because you did what I would have done had I not ran out of the house. It would have been, <laughs> uh, you said, okay, everybody get out of here for a yeah, second. It was, I'm going to close some windows, do yeah, some I just wanted to see, I just kept thinking... I don't know. I mean, we were such a small group. If it was a big group of people, I might just walk away, mm-hmm. you know, and let them do whatever they wanted to do. But it was such a small group of people. And, you know, the, the people that I was with were really intent on doing it, you know, as cautiously and professionally as possible. I like it wasn't that. like I had to fight everybody to get them out there. Like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. Let's get out of here. And they're probably happy you know? as you want to do it and not them. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, and so we just thought, well, let's, you know, let's do this. Let's look around. Let's. You know, I just wanted to see if there was a way to make it not happen, you know, and the only the only way that we were able to make it not happen was by leaving the house and having Annie quit trying to get Paul to open and close the door. 
Right. And once she stopped, it stopped Mm -hmm. until she came back and started up again. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she had been there quite a few times. So if they're. Yeah. What's it about her? Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I know her, I, I stay in touch with her. I, you know, I, I still know her and, um, I, I don't know. I, she had some kind of connection, I think with this, you know, the number of times she'd been there and just, you know, this interaction that she'd already had there in the room with this particular, I mean, if it is actually Paul or whatever, whoever it is, um, she seemed to have a connection and, uh, it, it listened to her, I Mm -hmm. guess you'd say. Did she leave the candy legit? Like, I believe she did. I mean, I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. Maybe that's the thing. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure she did. Yeah. Maybe most people didn't actually leave candy. She actually had candy. So I'm sure she did it. Well, that's good. This reminds me too of, uh, when you and I were going through Mineral Springs and we were walking up right by the Jasmine Lady Staircase and the, uh, the the door that we opened kind of closed on us. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. were both like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. And we pushed it back and realized it was the airflow from right. the from the vent and stuff. And I like that you and I got to do that a little bit because we yeah. you know actually got to experiment. It fucked me up later. Yeah, it scared you. From later, a diff- yeah. <laughs> from a, yeah. For a whole different reason. But but I like that you were at least kind of like, well, hold on a second. Yeah, let's I, let's I, check this I out. I want to make sure there's not something logical behind it. And so, right. I mean, and that's what this turned into was us spending hours trying to you know find a fault mm-hmm. in our original idea that oh this ghost is opening and closing the door but i i logically i really just don't have one. Mm-hmm. i don't have any i don't have a rational explanation for it i mean it happened we saw it you know it was on it's on film or on video yes i want to um, see this yeah and if well, i can you, link to it oh, sometime yeah, i will got it yeah i've got it so i'll give it to you to take with you yes. just so you can kind of see it. It was just weird. I mean, it's weird. It was a weird situation. I'm sure it was weird. Was it scary watching it? No, I wouldn't call it scary. Especially if it was a group. I mean, if I had been sitting there by myself and the door had been opening and closing, it probably would have been pretty unnerving. Yeah. But, you know, since we're sitting there in a group and it had become an experiment, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I mentioned in the monologue being in a house alone and, and, knowing that I heard footsteps follow me right. up the stairs. Was that an additional time? That was a, a whole oh, different okay. visit. And that was unnerving, you know, because I wasn't experimenting with anything. That wasn't just Paul, like, I'm guessing. No, I don't, don't think, think so. It sounded like someone large, you know, and maybe it was nothing. I mean, it could have just been some kind of residual thing. It probably was, but it was really unnerving. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Probably the coolest time, and I just mentioned this in passing about the ball, People yeah. leave toys there, and I talked about that too. You know, like the little truck that disappears and moves around the house and that kind of stuff. But that people will leave things, dolls and toys and balls and things like that. And one night, I, I don't know how this got started. Um, some of us were just kind of sitting around in the kids' room, just hanging out to see if anything would happen, kind of thing. And this ball was on the floor, and I rolled it down the hallway out of the kids' room toward. JB and Sarah's room. Is the end of the hallway dark and you can't see it? Like I'm no, thinking it's, it is. No, it wasn't. No, I oh, could okay. see. The, okay. There was moonlight and we could see. I could see somebody else sitting there. I rolled the ball oh, okay. to them and uh, we were just goofing, you know, rolling it back and forth. And then, you know, after a few minutes of this, I rolled the ball and the ball rolled down the hall toward the other person and stopped and then rolled back. To you? To me. And I thought, well, that was weird because mm-hmm. um, I thought, well, did I not see her bounce the ball back? Sure. And she said, um, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And I said, I think the ball just rolled back. 
And so we did it again and it didn't happen right away, but a little bit later it did it again. It stopped and reversed direction. Wow. And I thought, well, you know, my first thought is, well, it's the floor, you know, and I'm sure I know. Yeah, I know. I but, would try, I would do the same thing. And so, but I, yeah, I, it, it wasn't the floor. I mean, how, it was how far just away so are we weird. talking with, between the two um, of you? Probably. Well, if, I was just about to say from here to that wall. That's great for people. listening. <laughs> yeah. This is an audio um, medium. Probably. I don't know, but 10 20, feet, 12 feet, maybe. If it's from here to that wall, it's 15 feet, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I was sitting by the bed in the kids' room on the floor, and she was up near like the edge of JB and Sarah's room. So it's probably it was probably ten or twelve feet. What kind of what kind of ball are we talking? One of there? those plastic balls, like when like you a go hand to Walmart. Ball? No, like when you go to Walmart and there's the metal thing. Oh metal yeah, cage to make full the, like, of the bing, yeah full sound. of the kind of plasticky balls. Right, and it was just uh, this not very big pink ball. Yeah, I mean, like about the size of a, maybe a volleyball or something. So di- when you rolled it eventually it rolled back did it ever happen to her when she rolled no. it it rolled back just, just you did, huh did it to me which made me think it was the floor but i don't think it was the floor sure. because why wouldn't have done it every before time, you know yeah so i don't know it was weird yeah it was just weird so i mean it's a cool place i mean i i, I genuinely think it's haunted and it's a cool house and i just tell people you know you can listen to me tell these stories the same way you would listen to someone else tell about their personal experiences yeah. and you can believe it or not believe it i mean it's entirely up to you um i'm, I'm telling you the things that happen and if you want to believe me you can if you mm-hmm. don't you don't have to but i encourage people to find out for themselves sure i mean if you get a chance to go go absolutely uh, because it is a cool place to visit can i tell you my my i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit but my very last question for this entire episode and season is when are you going back and can i come with you yeah, yeah. i don't know when i'm going back but you but, just went not too long ago i was right? just there this or six this months summer. ago or something yeah, yeah it was back in may okay so, yeah yeah that's awesome i'm oh man i have so many more questions the, the ball rolling thing too reminds me of like was it poltergeist or i know it was an american horror story at one point but well, i thought it was before that too in some movie. It's been in other stuff. Yeah. I always think about it from the changeling with the red ball that comes down. Is, okay, maybe that's what it is. And then he takes of. it and throws it off the bridge into the river. And then it, yes, okay, that's when what I'm goes thinking home, of. It comes back down the stairs. Because I had to watch that movie for one of our I episodes. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um. So can you talk to me a little bit about? Okay. So if, so for instance, last night when uh, we did the Mineral Springs tour, usually when I'm with you for these things, I play the caboose, basically make sure yeah. nobody gets lost and everything's, you know, opened and lights are on and all that stuff. And I also look out for people that can't handle whatever they're doing right. and just make sure everybody's right. on their best behavior. Um, and there was one woman at the end that said, you know, uh, we were going down to the sub sub basement and yeah. she asked, what is it like down here and how does it feel? And then she asked about um, some of the upstairs stuff. And I basically just said, it, uh, I said, you know, it just feels different when you're in one spot versus right. the other spot. Well, that's true. I don't know if it's atmospheric pressure. I'm sure sci- some scientists could tell me. I'm, I'm sure. I'm yeah, curious. I'm sure there are several but, reasons. But, you know, when some things just feel heavy or don't feel heavy or sometimes you feel sad or they don't feel sad or, or I'm, I'm curious, what was it like in the Moore house where some terrible shit went down versus um the the exorcist house which i know also kind of messed with you a little bit yeah, but it's very but, different you know but the thing is is that i've been to both places multiple times i've been to the axe murder it's house not always the more, same and it's it's never the same mm-hmm. it's never the same feeling two times in a row interesting it's always different so it's not the location uh, I mean, necessarily probably yeah but there's probably you know and there's probably 50 reasons for that like you said could be the temperature could be the barometric pressure who knows but you know, it, it may be that some place is more 
more active one time than it is another. I yeah. mean, I've been to lots of places multiple times that, that I'll find that they'll be different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of times you go and it doesn't seem like anything at all. And so I think a lot of that, I don't know. I think a lot of it may be in our heads, you know, we're just um, set in and, mindset and the way that we're going into it, the attitude that we yeah, have going if you in. Get a bad day. Yeah. If you're thinking that, you know, oh man, I'm really keyed up here about going into this place. It's going to seem a lot weirder than it is if you just show up and think, oh, well, this is a neat old house sure. you know, or whatever. So I don't know. I think there's a, so many variables there that mm-hmm. there's no way to know for sure. That's fair. I know you've gone into places in, I think even Nexus's house, you talked about, you know, walking up to a room and being like, no, can't not not yeah. a good time. Not yeah. feeling good. Has it ever gone the opposite way where you're in a place and you're like you felt like euphoric or something mm, or overtly positive? Euphoric, but no. Okay, I mean, not over, overtly positive. I'm kind know. of a glass half empty kind well, of guy. Well, yeah. So okay, I yes. But well, this would be even more evidence that if you <laughs> yeah. were actually really right, happy, right? But right. so that's never happened to you where you. <laughs> oh, felt I don't. Know. I wouldn't say that. I never or, felt like. Oh, I'm just you know I'm just so high on life to be here in this place where somebody slaughtered six people okay so, hold on you're you twisting know. my question <laughs> yeah. but i didn't know if i there, know if, i know what you mean though i just but, didn't know if it ever evoked you know. a stronger emotion on the other end of the spectrum no you. i think it was i think you're i think for me you'd be looking at um a time going somewhere where it feels heavy or you know kind of dark as opposed to just feeling normal mm, you know okay i don't think i i, I don't ever remember being yeah do you, you want know, to talk to so somebody thrilled that what? Do you want me to give you a name of my therapist? He's a great guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you um, need. <laughs> I'm good, but, you know. So. All right. Oh, man. All right. That's that's pretty much, as far as conversation goes, the end of season three. We have some ghostwriter stuff and some other things I want to talk about. But yeah. what, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with for this conversation, or Veliska in particular, or all no, the stuff? No, I, just, I think just, you know, what I said, you know, as far as if you get a chance to go there, go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a cool place to visit and really it's the only one you can visit. I mean, there's, there's a couple of other places that still exist, but they're private spots and you can't, you know, really go inside or do anything, but you can, you can visit Velisca and you can see where it all happened. And, um, it, it does make you feel different about the story. I used to tell people that you'll never really understand uh, one of my favorite ghost stories has always been Resurrection Mary, you know, yeah. the Vanishing Hitchhiker story. And I would always tell people, you'll never really understand this story until you go to the Willowbrook Ballroom. And you could go there and you can see this place that is unchanged since the 1930s. And, you know, and you really get a feel for it. Uh, unfortunately, the Willowbrook burned down a couple of years ago, so mm. it's gone. Uh, but I think this story is the same way. If you really want to understand the Velisca axe murder story, you you got to see the house. you mm-hmm. got to go to the place where it happened, um, if you possibly can. Um, you know, I, I guess part of the point of the books is to bring the stories to people who can't go there or, you know, in the, the podcast too, uh, to make people, give them a chance to experience something maybe they can't see. But if you possibly can, do it. I think it's worthwhile. So that's what I would probably leave this season with and and i will also leave it with i'm not sure we'll ever do an entire season of just one story again so yeah so (laughs) so you know the first two seasons were geographically you know kind of based and this was a book um we learned a lot of things from that we also have a survey out when people have been giving us a lot of helpful information from that um can i 
if you don't want me to say this, I'll cut it out. But can I just say that season four is back to kind of what we did for one and two? Can I at least say that? You can say that. Okay, thank you. Thanks, yeah. Troy. It's now time for our Ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. So our first email comes to us from uh, Colton, and it's titled Alton Tour uh, Podcast Episodes. He said, hello, I just discovered a, uh, your podcast a couple weeks ago, and I can't get enough of it. Troy is a phenomenal storyteller, and I love this, the discussions with Cody each episode. So far, I've only gotten through the uh, St. Louis season. I bought tickets for the Alton Hauntings bus tour in October, and I was wondering if you at all would recommend listening to a uh, to some of the season one episodes of your podcast prior to taking the tour, or would it be better to wait and then delve into the Alton season after the tour? I wasn't sure how much overlap there is between the information on the tour and the podcast. Either way, I look forward to both. Best regards, and then uh, yeah, signed off with his name. I think it's a great question. Um, it is, and, and we, I, we've kind of talked about this before. So I've had people ask, you know, what 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 should I do? Um, if I, should I, you know, should I go on a tour or should I read the book first or should I go on, you know, do it opposite, the opposite. Yeah. Should I, should I do one and, or the other? And there's two of this really, there's no good answer to mm -hmm. that because you can do it either way. When I first started doing ghost tours 26 years ago, the reason that we did the tour was because I had written a book. And people wanted to see the places that were in the book. So that's one way to look at it. On the other hand, um, you could take the tour and then listen to the podcast or read the book because you're going to get more information. We can't put you can't put everything about all of the information can't be on a tour because otherwise the tour would last for like 12 well, it can't hours. Be, it can't be in any one right, medium, honestly. Right. It, it, yeah. So it's kind of cool to then go and hear you know, read the rest of the story, you know, or listen to the rest of the story in the podcast. So I, I wish I could answer that definitively, but I can't. It depends I on mean, what experience you on want. What you want out of it. You yeah. Know? I think there's two different ways to go and I think they're both good. Yeah. So that's yeah. fair. If you're like me, you, uh, you stalk Troy Taylor, you read and watch everything he's ever done before you ever <laughs> reach out to him. Do you, I know so much about this man before I even emailed him. Do you want to know his real name? Cause I can tell you, um, no. So great question. Um, if you have any follow-ups on that, let us know. But I mean, yeah. I've been on so many of these tours, go on the tour. You'll still learn a lot. Listen to the podcast. You'll get even more from the book. It's kind of well, like yeah, a trifecta. But, yeah, then, but then you've, you've seen the place. So then exactly. you're Seeing it, it is you such a, a more, new layer. It gives you a, yeah, another layer to it. That's a good, great way to put it. Yep. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for that question. Uh, this next one comes to us from Mark Voorhees, our, our good friend for the podcast. And this is, uh, I don't know how you're going to take this subject is the Black Dahlia said, Hey, I subscribed to the radio show Coast to Coast AM. Yes, of course. A uh, newsletter. And it mentioned a recent show featuring former LAPD detective Steve oh, Hodel, <laughs> during which he investigated the Dahlia murder, concluded that she was killed by his father. He further yeah. stated, he believes his dad committed between 7 to 20 serial murders in Southern California and between 43 and 49. Um, so I thought Mr. Taylor, given his interest in Black Dahlia, you might find this interesting. Unless yeah, there's an entire aware. chapter in my book about why George Hodel did not kill the Black Dahlia. So you're so not down for that theory? No. no. Interesting. Okay, what, what is that book? What's it called? ridiculous. Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel. Okay, yeah. cool. So I see that in the shop all the time. So, Mark, uh, good question. Thank you. And if you want to know yeah, more, I'm not, check I'm out... Not, Complaining about Mark. I'm oh, talking no, about, right. You know, the this theory. guy who, I mean, how much do you hate your dad? You know what right? I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got his dad tied into, you know, everything from the Black Dahlia to the Zodiac murders. Uh -huh. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's right. just absolutely nuts. 
there isn't anybody who not, not his the people he used to work with not not you know district attorneys no one mm-hmm. has any tolerance for got it his claims all right well but, i'm gonna but it but he had a publisher who spent a lot of money on advertising it's kind of like you know there were a hundred axe murders and it was all the same guy that's called your publisher decided to spend money on advertising and so this guy's ended up on a lot of tv shows and a lot of magazine articles and stuff but there's no real hard evidence of any of it mm-hmm. most of it doesn't match um like i said i spent an entire chapter of the book sure. talking about how it doesn't okay you know, it doesn't even make sense but right whatever you okay. know, well hey well thank, thanks for know. writing in mark um you're cl- easily so, yeah, i know the story you're yeah. easily one of my top five oh, yeah, favorite absolutely. listeners no that's what i said <laughs> it's right all the time against mark I, yeah check out that book and then let us know what you think if you have any other questions for troy i'll just i'll throw them at him i don't care what he says uh this <laughs> last email is uh it's from it says it's titled limp story elsa it's from beth and she says, uh, hello, Troy and Cody. I began listening to your limp episodes, and I was surprised that Troy didn't mention the inaccuracies in Thomas Wright's I did. stories. As, <laughs> hold on. As written in the Post-Dispatch, uh, Thomas said he didn't know his wife owned a gun. His attorney tells the paper Thomas didn't know about the gun, slept with it by her bedside table. Story so suspect. Um, she keeps going into a lot yeah, of this. Yeah. But yeah. we kind of talked about this a little bit. And, and yeah. basically, uh, I think this comes back to the whole tour book podcasting is right. you have a lot of this information in, in, the, in book, the book and you can't put all of it in the podcast right because we were only doing six episodes about the limbs right that's an entire that's an entire sure show of its own yeah you know but yeah it is actually all in the book and mm-hmm. i think i even talked about i i'm in fact i'm positive i did because i've always said that i that I believe that Elsa was murdered. Right, right. And, and so what you do. And I've always talked about how sketchy her husband was. Sure. And I will also so, say, anyway, that but, aside from yeah. the monologue, um, the responsibility for follow-up information lies solely on me. So mm-hmm. if I miss something, it's like, sorry, it's just, it, it's how my brain's <laughs> working. And when we did, oh, especially when we did the limp series, I was mapping out this tree on well, my whiteboard yeah, and my brain was on. fried. Yeah. Um, but uh, Beth, if you want to learn more about that, Troy just released a new version of Suicide and Spirits or an updated version. Yeah, updated. Um, so check that out and then, yeah, let us know what you think. And we really appreciate uh, all your emails. Okay, well, I guess we should wrap up this episode, our final episode in season three. So, um, I have to say a little bit, I'll be sorry to see it go. Um, on the other hand, it's, you know, a bit of a relief that we made it to the end, uh, through the entire 17 episodes of murdered in their beds. So anyway, um, but thanks everybody for hanging with us the entire time, uh, for sticking with us for the whole story. Uh, I know there was a lot of detail and a lot of people and a lot of characters in this season. So thank you very much for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing it with your friends. Thanks for leaving us reviews on iTunes, the whole bit. And uh, we will be back for our Halloween episode. And then, of course, we will be back soon for season four. I'm just happy to stop dreaming about axe murders <laughs> and dream yeah. about something else yeah. for once. That's yeah. also horrific, but yeah, uh, at least it's not that <laughs> Um, all right, one last time for right. season three. Well, this episode oh, of the American Hauntings podcast was I written am, by Troy Taylor. I, and I swear and I'm rewriting and this by me, Cody Beck. In each episode, we try to combine history, folklore, legend, imagination, well, no axe murders, either. and the truth. To I don't more care about how America's like most the haunted four places, people that strange told us tales, they listen to this. You know they don't. They're just American doing Hauntings it because they're trying to tweak me. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and take a brand new look at history, hauntings, and Troy's Twitter. 
feed. They're just so you can glad that we're done about with this season and find new episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast apps by searching for American Hauntings or Troy Taylor Comedy Album, or you can go to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com where we also have links to Troy's books, his aforementioned comedy album, and information about upcoming tours, events, and haunted happenings. Remember, if you love the show, American Hauntings is more than just this podcast. It's books, tours, events, ghost hunts, and the Haunted America Conference and the Dead of Winter Festival, That's all of true. which you can find at our website at AmericanHauntings.net. And if you're one of those people who wish we had a new show every week, well, you can have that because we have that. Yes. We you can do. have the chance to support the uh, podcast by checking out our Patreon page. As a supporter, you can get bonus episodes of the show, t shirts, great stuff in the mail, and more, especially sneak peeks in Detroit comedy albums. We are extre- <laughs> extremely excited about producing more shows with better equipment, which, which is, we actually already have. Yeah, I have so it in thank, my bag. Again, thank the Patreon people for that. Thank so, you so much. All of you who listen, who, you know, Find a Patreon person and thank them because yes. you're going to see a difference coming up in season four. And I appreciate so. the constant reminders that it's not sounding great. I know. Anyway, we can dedicate more time and resources to making that happen. So take a minute, check it out. I think you'll like what you find at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. You can also find your hosts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have comments, suggestions, reviews, or jokes, be sure to pass them along. Until next season. Yeah, next season. Goodbye. Right. So long and see you later. See you later. All right. All right. Cool.